okay? Yeah, paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. Hoop that shit, hoop that shit, hoop that shit, hoop that shit, hoop that shit. Homie, homie, paperwork, homie. What it say at the bottom? If you got sex charges, we gonna kill your ass. Paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. Don't be a chomo. Don't be a chomo. Nice. Paperwork, 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 paperwork. GP, GP, GP. I'm going to pitch that song to Wes Watson. Hello, everybody. We're recording with Wes Watson today. (laughs) With the Wes Watson band. Uh, Welcome to the studio, Wes Watson. Yeah, let's hear what he has to say today, shall we? Everybody's asking me about the new booties. What happens when you're a fish and you roll up to CDC? Where's fish? Where's fish? I don't want to go home. I want my mother. When you roll up as a fish, as a new booty, you're a new inmate. You come rolling in. They give you your bedroll. They give you your toothbrush. They give you your fish kit. They give you all the small shit that you get as an inmate as you arrive. You get your mat, you get your pillow. It's a small one and you come rolling up. They used to have these big old blue nice mats that were actually comfortable, but then they switched over back to the super shitty ones that just feel like shit, you're laying on nothing. But anyways, you'll come rolling up to the block and this is what I hate, man. Uh, Before we get into what he hates, he didn't really get into much. He started talking about the movie Shot Caller. I don't know if you've seen that movie. interesting. So Why does he start talking about that? Because it's not accurate. It's not an accurate depiction of what it's like in the pen, homie. Oh, interesting. Dumbass. Wow, well, dude. Don't, hey, but don't ever quest Wes Watson. Jamie Lannister was the main character, so I think we can afford it that much, at least. <laughs> I heard it was actually a good movie. So have I. I've seen it as a 98% match on Netflix. Oh, it's on Netflix? Yeah. Shot Caller. It's been on Netflix for a while, actually. What else? That guy was in another movie recently. Or like That's some other random all movie. all I remember him from recently. Isn't he? He's like in an older like blockbuster movie. What's that guy's name? Nikolai Gubliage or some shit. Nikolai. What is it? Lannister, I think. <laughs> I'm just going to put Jamie Lannister actor. I'm dumb. <laughs> Nikolai some shit. Nikolai Kosterwaldl. There you go. Kosterwaldl. That's how you say it, idiot. Sounds like you just rewound your voice as you said it. <laughs> 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 I want to cyber bully Nikolai. <laughs> what the fuck? Nikolai is my six older brother. <laughs> I want to see what movies this fucking guy was in. Fuck him. He's not part of our end of the decade list anyway, so. Yeah, right. Yes, he is, dude. Yeah, every- you put that movie on, The Shop Caller. Oh, he's in, yes. a, he's in a Gods of Egypt and Oblivion. Those are the movies I was thinking of. Thank you. What's Gods of Egypt? Some stupid movie where he's like a fucking, I don't know, they fight. It's like one of those action action. Oh, like the Spartans Spartan kind of deal. Or- crazy, yeah. He's got an eye patch, and it's like the, they try to do like they try to rip off the mummy, basically. 
Interesting. But make okay. it more like action packed. Anyways, yeah, you're right, dude. We're here to talk movies this week. Some good movies. In yeah, the last something decade. good for a change. The the world is the world, the world is ending. Well, not the world, but the year is ending, and we got to show you what the what show you new booties what we're ready to bring in store for the new year. Show you fresh fish. Yeah, you fresh fish. <clears throat> so, dude, why don't we start from the top, man? From the year 2010, it's the year, the glimmering year of 2010. Where were you uh, 10 years ago, dude? Graduating from high school like a little bitch and coming out into the world like a fresh fish, wondering <laughs> what I was going to do. Um, you were a new I booty. I was a new booty. There wasn't a lot of... Um, I, looking back on it, at least now, uh, 2010 was kind of a... I mean, I did find a lot of good films in it, but I was like, I had watched them way after they had come out. So yeah. uh, speaking of it as it was, the movies that I liked in 2010 as, at that age was like Shutter Island. And fucking uh, beautiful by Alejandro Inarritu. Um, but the one that stood out the most from that year, 2010, that I saw later on was a film called Dogtooth by this guy named Yorgos Lanthimos. Mm-hmm. He's this uh, Greek director who did a couple really well known films of late with Colin Farrell called The Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. You might have heard of either one of those, but. Um, I highly recommend checking those out as well. He has this really unique style to filming that's like taking like a surreal, dark comedy and making these sort of uh, deadpan conversations where every line is delivered as if they were like, what they think is what they say. And there's no room for any sort of exposition because the characters are so straightforward that it makes all their movements sort of mechanical and almost like over dramatizes their acting in a way that makes you feel very uncomfortable and very unnerved. Yeah. Um, but Dogtooth is a film about a husband and wife who keep their children locked away in this house and they keep them ignorant of the outside world and they make up uh, games and stories for them to uh, describe certain events outside of the world. So they see a plane passing over and they will say like, oh, you can't, if, if you ever, you know, go on a plane, you'll die or something. Like they'll, they'll create the most fucked up story around that <laughs> little event to make them so afraid of going to the outside world. And um, the husband and wife have three kids, two girls and a boy. And basically they just exist in this really weird, hyper-violent world. Like at one part, they find a kitten in their backyard and they've never seen a kitten before. So they have no idea what to do with it. And the dad tells them a story about how the kitten is like this evil fucking creature that will kill you with its claws. And then they just like smash its head because of that, you know, just like really weird, dark comedy. Very funny, of course, because it's just like the setting itself is very, uh, yeah, very surreal. But that one, I think stood out the most for me in terms of 2010. He's just got this very unnerving style that I don't see a lot, especially when it comes to comedy. Like, it seems on the horrific, like a Tim and Eric skit would, you know? Mm-hmm. Except not as funny as a Tim and Eric skit. I would hope not, dude. Smashing kitties heads does not sound funny. Yeah, that's not up their alley. Now, do you saw this movie in, back in high school? No, so I saw it, uh, like, I would say five years ago, maybe. Mm, so back in 2015. 
around 2014, 2015. So I didn't see it 2010 when it came out, but when I heard about it, I wanted to see, uh, like, it just, like, seemed interesting to me. Yeah. And it just, like, damn, fucking blew my mind, especially because The Lobster and uh, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer and his the newest one that he did, The Favorite, I think are so fucking different from Dogtooth. I think Dogtooth is way more brutal than those other films, even though those other films have brutality. Is that it. one of his first films? It, yeah, it was his second film. His actually. second film? But uh, really, really good. So what about you? That looks like it came out in 2009 is what I'm seeing here. It did, but I think it was released, released in the U.S. In, in the U.S.? So I'm doing released in the U.S. Okay. Uh, for some of them. Yeah, I'm trying to think back in 2010. Because I made a list. Obviously, we made the list for today. And I didn't see any of these movies when, when they came were initially released. You didn't back, see Shutter Island when, they were, when it was released? Oh, okay. I saw Shutter Island. I'm looking, I was looking at my list, but... Yeah, I mean, I didn't see I didn't see any of these movies back in 2010. Yeah, we were just graduating high school. I wasn't concerned about really movies. No, we back were like then at all. Super bad was the coolest movie we'd seen. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think like what was the coolest movie I had seen at that time. I mean, that's why I was saying, A Clockwork I mean, Orange. I was so in love with that movie in high school. I mean, in middle school and probably a lot of high school, too. So, you know what? That was probably one of the highlight movies before the decade started or the last decade started. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. What else? I didn't. Yeah. That was not. We were not very much movie buffs. Like you said, Superbad was the. No, but I mean, now we can still talk about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm just reflecting, dude. This is also a reflecting episode of of the the decade. I feel like my taste in film at that age was so fucking like immature in a sense. Like it just like I mean, th- you remember we had a uh, we had Schmitz, our English professor, well teacher oh, rather, for, at high school. Yes. That guy, I wish we took that guy for granted because he was showing us like Naked Lunch our senior year. Cronenberg, Cronenberg, a bunch. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, some other. We were, we had a write about Heart of Darkness, and we watched. Didn't we watch it to like a video, a movie about it too? There was some we read it. I know for it, sure. I that. Definitely read it. Read Borges too. Who's like, dude? Just like a lot of the interests that I have now are based on Schmitz, and I wish I kind of explored those realms more when I was out of yeah. when I was a senior and out of high school. Um, but I'm glad now because it's like we can reflect now, back on like, damn, that shit was actually really relevant to my life now. Really prevalent in my life. I and mean, like, back in high school, I took that. shrooms in that guy's class one time. I know, and I was just sitting there, and he was getting giant and getting small. That was the first time I'd ever taken shrooms at school. At which school, which was probably 2010. Mm. Um, yeah. So, anyways, back to the movies. My first few lists, I had three from. Actually, I only had two. Is what it looks like. Both um, Asian films. One was 13 Assassins by Takashi Miike, who obviously has a laundry list worth of films we can get into. And Absolutely. we've talked about it on this show uh, mm-hmm. pretty often. Uh, I Saw the Devil was on here, a great revenge story, Korean film. Um, Kim Ji Woon, he did A Tale of Two Sisters, which I have, haven't seen yet, but I know that storyline has been like interpreted a bunch of times too, right? Mm. Have Is you- that like a twin thing where one of them is a ghost or something something like that yeah but okay. i've heard good nothing but good things from that film um and then so he did the I. good the bad and the weird which is kind of similar to like a kung fu hustle which is also a great movie too so it's comparable yes. to that um but yeah 
two Asian films that I had not ever heard of up until like, I don't know, maybe, yeah, like 2012, 14. Because also based on my list too, I'm starting to see sort of the progression like towards more indie films throughout the years that came out. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think that kind of just, and a lot of horror, like indie horror films, I think that kind of led me towards these. Well, actually 13 Assassins, dude, I think I did see that back in high school. But I didn't know who Takashi Miike was or even mm. what that... I just thought it was a cool samurai movie, but that's probably one of my favorite Takashi Miike movies Yeah, ever. I remember seeing it for the first time with you, I believe, and I was fucking blown away. Like, it yeah, because it's a slow burn, but when it comes through, it comes so through. It's so brutal. Yeah. It's just, like, fucking horrific throughout. And just, like, some parts that just stay with you because Miike has this way of, like, Really getting under your skin oh, for certain yeah. parts. And just by visuals alone, not even by like doing anything violent. Right. Like, like uh, the part where uh, they reveal the woman who yes, writes. That's the one out of their mouth. Yeah. Oof, always stays in my head. Total it's massacre. Just, she writes that. She writes yes. it out. That part is uh, sick. That's such a great movie. There's so many memorable parts like that, too. All the characters. I mean, it's basically like a Seven Samurai kind of storyline, but much exactly. more brutal. Um, and, and updated the, for, you know, like, in terms of our modern time. Yeah. With the and, techniques we can use. And then with uh, I Saw the Devil, man, that film just fucking grabbed me by the neck the first time I saw it. Because it's, it's a great, I mean, the revenge story, the man's wife gets murdered. He, the guy ends up being like a super badass agent. Which, you know, it, one paper sounds like it could be a really cheesy movie, like badass agent hunting down the man who murdered his wife but the guy the man whose wife was murdered is so fucking sadistic towards the killer but the killer is like this like fat slob guy but is also really like crafty and good with a knife um just a really great revenge story that i'm super stoked on still oh yeah it is really good i saw it again recently because i had never seen the full thing oh uh, really the first time i'd seen it i had i went to your house and i came in on the part where after that, they, they, he sends that guy to the hospital and he escapes from the hospital, uh-huh. uh, the serial killer, and he goes to go to his house, you know, afterwards. Yeah. That was, I saw from there on. So I, did, I never saw what had happened before. And to me, it just sounded like kind of like, yeah, like it could be a very generic storyline. Like a exactly. badass cop going after the serial killer. But then it gets into this really dark side about like the cop actually turning very sadistic himself mm-hmm. and like, you know even drawing aspects of the serial killer to entrap him, which right. I thought was really interesting. The, choreo- the choreography, too, in that film with his combat is super sick, too. Like, There's this one part where the killer has like a scalpel and he's swinging it at the protagonist and he just the dude just catches it with his hand and like squeezes the scalpel, just oh, like yeah, strips yeah. it from him and fucks him up. I think that's the part where he cuts his Achilles tendon. Oh, shit, that's right. Oh. <laughs> But I just love that, too. He's just, like, straight up toying with the killer throughout the entire film, too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So, two shout out to our Asian brothers and sisters over there for making great films in 2010. Keep it up. Keep it up. And then you got fucking giant Mr. Smart and Scorsese on your list. Yeah, I had Shutter Island for 2010, although only because, like, I remember seeing it in theater and being, like, really... I knew what was going to happen, but something about the experience of seeing it in theater was really awesome. And I just like, yeah. I always remember it for that. And that kind of like. I remember the first time seeing it, I, 
I think because I was, I don't know, I figured out what was going to happen and I was just not that into it. I was like, man. Totally. I think a lot of people are turned off because of that. But for me, something about the story, DiCaprio. It's good. Course, it's good. It is well made. Uh, DiCaprio's Mark great. Mark Ruffalo, great. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's some fucking tremendous actors in there. <laughs> but uh, what's God. the one line that he's always talking I'm not even really here. Or what does he say? <laughs> <laughs> you know, At the talking. end, when he's like, Oh, what does he say? There is no, like, there is no something. <laughs> like, what does he, what what does he, he say to him about his name? The yeah. name's an acronym. <laughs> Andrew Selnak or something <laughs> is this guy. Like I don't know, something about that is just like really cool. Like it's it. funny too, yeah. Like how paranoid fucking Leonardo DiCaprio becomes, <laughs> and he's just connecting exactly. his own dots throughout the whole film. It's great. Um, mo- I guess we can move on to 2011. I didn't uh, have anything in 2011. I only had one, or I had two, but I mean, I really couldn't find anything to be honest. 2011 was kind of a dud. Yeah, but, we were uh, talking about that. There wasn't the only much. one that stood out to me was uh, this film called Melancholia from Lars von Trier, mm-hmm. and um, that one I actually did see in when it came out uh, because I was taking, I was in college at the time at Cal State LA, and I was taking right. a screenwriting class. And during the class, my professor was telling me that, or telling us at least that. If we wanted to see like a really good example of screenwriting to watch this movie specifically, mm-hmm. I had never heard of Lars von Trier. Um, and honestly, this movie fucking, it changed my life after seeing it. And it became, I became like a permanent von Trier fan after that. But I mean, Melancholia stars Chris, Kirsten Dunst, Charlie Gainsbourg, uh, kind of like eclectic actors, Keith or, Keith or Sutherland, Alexander Skarsgård, and some other people. But, um, it's about this uh, Kirsten Dunst getting married uh, to Alexander Skarsgård, and she is just not feeling it. She's, like, not into it. She becomes depressed over their wedding night and literally fucks a guy on that same wedding night. And it's Whoa, just like, sounds like one of my favorite films. <laughs> and is just trying to get out of the relationship, even though her sister, who's played by Charlotte Gainsbourg, has done everything to help her for this wedding, you know, has prepared it, has secured the reservation, has secured the, like, everything about the party itself mm-hmm. her sister has done. So she gets really pissed off at her. So that's, like, the first part. The first part is just the wedding itself. And then the second part, part two, is this depressive, melancholic, as the name pertains, uh, sort of state that, that comes from the fact that a planet is heading into collision with the earth. And it's just this overarching uh, threat that people are aware of that this planet is supposed to be passing by them in their orbital system, mm-hmm. except, and that's what scientists are telling everybody, but something about Kirsten Dunst feels like that's not what's going to happen. And that's what makes it, it gives her this end of the world sort of feeling. But what's so beautiful about the film too is that she is willing to accept that state of her, whereas her sister, who is this neurotic, who has to have everything perfect, who has the husband, has the kid, has the grand extravagant life, can't get over the idea that like she might die in this fucking world collision, basically. Mm. And so the film goes on. I mean, there's not really much spoilers in it. I mean, they all do die in the end because the pl- it turns out that the scientists were wrong. Spoiler alert. And the planet does head into them, but um, it's so beautiful. 
it's honestly one of the most beautiful films I've seen. And again, made me a, a large Vulture fan. And I explored all of his work after that. Of course I, you did. Like, you love so that relationship dynamic, that toxic relationship. Oh, the sexual tension, the sexual tension, uh, sibling tension as well. Just fucking telling each other exactly what you're feeling and being very nasty with each other in terms (laughs) of like, you know, fuck you. Like, I hate you. You've always been shitty. So, you know, know. it's weird because I feel like we don't have those kind of conversations enough. Like people don't talk to each other like that unless they're really at their breaking points. Exactly. And I think what Lars von Trier makes films about is like the characters are always at this breaking point almost. It's, they're always at this cataclysmic point where hmm. they need to make a decision. And in this film, Melancholia, Kirsten Dunst decides to accept her fate and she becomes much more happier than her sister who has everything better than her in her life and is obsessed, obsessed with saving herself. Hmm. Nice. Well, I didn't have anything for 2011, so we can skip over to 2012. <laughs> and the one that made, mostly stood out for me because it kind of led me down a bigger rabbit hole was um, VHS. Now, I know uh, it's kind yes. of a corny movie, but I feel like that really opened the door for us for scouting out these indie horror films because a lot of these films on my list, too, are just these indie films. And to this day, we still talk about mm-hmm. just random indie horror films. Like, it's we got the Shutter subscription. We got the Midnight Pulp. All, we got it all. And I think the source of that, at least for me, was VHS, dude, because we really had these, like, super... Like, I haven't seen any really scary movie that was, like, that resonated with me up until that point. I mean, we saw, like, Quarantine, but that's more of, like, a nostalgia totally. kind of... Like, it's a fun movie to watch, but this movie, like, it really put, like, an artistic take on creating a horror film. And with True. that, it also led and to, the like... the fact that it was low budget, too, Super low budget, like, yeah. And then it, it just, like, opened the window to explore. And there was so many... There was, like, I think... Uh, how many different films were on there? There was two, five, four, maybe? five. I think there was five, yeah. But the main one that really stood out was Ty West because he, he did another film on on my list, which was Year Next, which is, like, another revenge survival story that's, like, mm-hmm. turned on its head. Um, and then House of the Devil, which is a classic. Yes. Um, I think that even came out before... Um, VHS too, which is dope. Um, the Sacrament, which is just basically Jonestown. Um, and yeah, it just led us down this hole for indie horror films, and I'm glad we were introduced to this. I don't even remember how we came across VHS. Honestly. Yeah, I don't. I think Jawal had mentioned it to me actually, so that's yeah. how I found about it. Because the first, it was always the first one, the first fucking uh, short in it was the one that people were like talking about the most because. Mm-hmm. You know, people were like, oh, the, what is it, the Wendigo? The Wendigo? Wendigo? The Succubus woman? Or the Succubus, sorry, not a Wendigo. <laughs> it's the, the Mandingo. They're trying to get a hold of her. Yeah, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> that, I th- I remember people talking about that a lot. That one was horrifying. Steven. Totally, and that's why I was like, I have to check this out, you know, and... Um, yeah, it, I definitely agree with you in it being a game changer because, again, the low-budget quality to it, the feeling that, like, they were taking a bold risk with, like, the films that they were making and yeah. also just, like, something you hadn't seen before, too. Nothing you hadn't seen before and in five different installments. I mean, keep in mind, there are some weaker ones. I think Tuesday the 17th, which is, like, that weird one where they're, like, glitch is killing people. In the woods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was kind of stupid. That one I thought was kind of dumb. Cheesy. Yeah, and then there's the but one. But still. But still, yeah. I mean, you Holy hadn't seen shit doing anything done like that. 
Um, and then there's the sick thing that happened to Emily when she was younger, which is like the really weird like webcam one where the girl's like, I got a dot of blood on me. And like ghosts come about and it turns out the guy's like next door the whole time. I don't know. Second honeymoon is the one that Ty West did, and that's the one where uh, the couple, the back to the relationship dynamic, the couple's like on a vacation, and then they start arguing throughout it, um, and then we get sh- like glimpses of like somebody watching them in their room, like because it's it's all all through handheld, right? Like these are all handheld films. Oh, that's right. And it's switching oh, it between is. their home video and a, like a stalker's home video too. Do you that's remember that? Right. That one turned out to be pretty well made i'm not gonna spoil that one because it doesn't seem like you remember it so i'll let you watch it again i have to watch it again but yeah i do remember that aspect of the stalker and that was really creepy yeah like literally going into their room and filming them like also some david lynch-esque uh very david lynch-esque actually um, now that i'm thinking about it fucking high lost highway Mm -hmm. vibes um but yes I think that you're right, dude. That definitely sent set a bar as to what I wanted to see in horror films. And I think from from then on out, from, then on out, from 2012, movies really did start stepping up in the horror scheme. I mean, that year yeah. also, Sinister Sinister came out, which was a oh, really right, great yeah. film up until the end. Lords of Salem, that was another one. Um, yeah, Wait, I no, I thought Lords of Salem came out 2013. Uh, let me see. Anyway, well, either way, either way, the yeah. Bar and like the films that came after, you're saying is what right. matters. Oh yeah, 2013, April 2013. But right. still, and like the Purge as well came out 2013 as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, so from then on, dude. I mean, from yeah. 2012 to like about 2015. Even you know what? Nah, fuck that. It's now still like mm-hmm. films are still really going trying to reach that bar. And I mean, keep in mind the last two VHSs weren't as strong as the first one. The last one no. sucks ass. But the second one. The second one. The second one, there's two. There's a few really good ones in the or second. Is that one. what it's called, Haven's Gate or Heaven's Gate? Uh, Safe Haven. Oh yeah, yeah, I think it's just called Haven. Oh okay, that, that one one's fucking is. badass. Yeah, Woo. that's like the best. Like that, that sells it for any VHS. Hell yeah. Um, I mean, also uh, Safe Haven. Safe Haven. That's the one. Yeah, that's what it's called. Okay. Um. Also, in 2012, Beyond the Black Rainbow came out. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, which we have talked about before in terms of Mandy. Uh, we haven't really done an episode on Beyond the Black Rainbow, but, I mean, definitely a game changer, too, in terms of, like, artistic value and sort of... Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of covered it when we were talking about Mandy. It's sort of the companion piece for Mandy totally. in a lot of ways. But also, I think, a start a kind of revolutionary film in terms of the use of retro uh, images and a sort of retro soundtrack, you know, hearkening back to, like, an 80s nostalgia yeah. that a lot of films started doing after, in terms of, totally. like, especially with neon lighting. Um, yeah, neon was lighting like, was huge for a little while. Yeah. Um, so I, that one stood out to me, but also... Oh, yeah, for sure. I didn't see that, but I forgot. Came out 12... Um, a lot, a good amount came out in 2012 that I was that I really enjoyed. Um, one specifically, though, was definitely this one called Holy Motors, which is by this French director named Leo Carax. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say his last name. It's in fucking French, but um, it's about this fucking guy who. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to explain because it's a it's a fantasy drama film, but the main guy Denis Levant, he's like this really wiry ghoulish looking actor who has this very interesting face yeah i'm looking at him right now i mean throughout the film it's like 
he plays this character that is just goes into a limousine, is driven around the city, and plays. He puts on different, you know, makeup, different appearances while he's in the limousine, uh, and then he'll go out <laughs> into the world and just act. And he's like, you don't know if he's hired to do this or if he's doing this as part of his everyday ritual of being in life. You know what I mean? He's just playing an everyday person. But it it blurs those lines between fantasy and reality in terms of what this guy is supposed to be. And honestly, it is the best sort of um, metaphor for like what film is, I think. Mm. And it's this immersive experience in terms of, again, blurring those lines and stepping in between them to create this fantasy world that is like damn like what is acting anymore you know like yeah. how do we how, how do we determine what acting is now and this guy has such a bold performance like honestly his performance is the highlight of it you'll you can't stop watching him i'll check it out good actor so i highly highly recommend it um and then the other one a david cronenberg film cosmopolis uh, mm-hmm. which is a drama thriller Robert Pattinson stars in it, and this is kind of like... New Batman. Yep. Robert Pattinson started to get his, like, more indie hits, uh, because he was in, like, a a film before that, something Ashes. Twilight? uh, I mean, after that, I'm saying. Because, like... Twilight, Twilight, New Dawn. He really wanted to find, like, you know, different, challenging films, and he did do one where he played um, Salvador Dali. Oh, yeah. Salvador Dali's relationship with uh, Lorca, the poet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cronenberg had seen the film, and Cronenberg has this knack for knowing what actors have a talent to be explored and mined, and like, hone, he, can, he can hone in on these people. He knows exactly what he wants from people. So he watches their films to make sure they have this versatility to them. That's why he picks like these very strong actors. You know, you got Viggo Mortensen, you got Robert Pattinson, you got fucking um, what's his name, James uh, Spade or James Spader or whatever, mm-hmm. um, Jeremy Irons. All these guys that like he has been able to mode and perfect in his film. So with Cosmos- Cosmopolis, it's a it's a really good film about capitalism. That that's the only thing that I can uh, point out to it. It's a very searing indictment of what capitalism is, and I think. Cronenberg, uh, being um, before he he made films, he was actually studying to be a scientist and um, pursuing a career in like biology and even like surgery. Damn. So he takes that sort of scientific knowledge to his films to make them very surgical and precise. You know, like yeah. even the editing feels very very precise. He knows exactly what he's building. This film has that same feeling, but when you and when you put in this realm of capitalism, which is so eerily atmospheric you know like it's all around you but you can't really you can't uh materialize it you can't physicalize it i think this film is able to capture that essence and robert pattinson plays such a like a such a cruel character with uh, you know just like he has a very cold look to him very cold and throughout the film he's just like riding around in a limousine doing business in his limousine getting fucking having a proctologist come to his limousine, you know, <laughs> fucking doing everything in his limousine. And I thought that, like, it, it's really cool. It's yeah. Very interesting. Um, but, yeah, I highly recommend that. Shout out Cronenberg. Shout out. Um, yeah, Django Unchained also came out 2012. 
also a really good experience in the theater to see. Totally. Uh, the Master by Paul Thomas Anderson with Joaquin Phoenix. This is kind of like when Joaquin Phoenix came back from his, you know, little stint as rapper slash slob. <laughs> so The Master also was really good. What's that like, movie called? I'm Still Here? When did I'm that come here, out? Yeah. Yeah, when did that come out? 20, 2010. How is that really? not on the list? Yeah. Casey Affleck directed that. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, how is that not on the list? What the fuck? We gotta we gotta give a quick shout out to this movie. New- I'm just fucking like stuck in this ridiculous like self-imposed fucking prison of uh, characterization, you know. And <laughs> it happened to me young. It's like the chicken or the egg. I don't know what came for us. Whether they said um, that I was emotional and intense and complicated. Complication. Truly complicated and intense, and then they responded to it. Then, like once they responded to it, then I responded to what they were saying, and <laughs> yeah, I utilized it in some ways. And there's, I, I'm embarrassed about that, and that's what a lot of this is about. I mean, I guess that's why I agreed to do this documentary is because I don't want to. I don't want to play the character of Joaquin anymore. Like, <laughs> I want to be whatever I am. And this is so good. Let's get another clip of him. Oh, this is great. When he's trying to, this is it. We're watching him uh, perform because this was a documentary about him pursuing a rap career. <laughs> I liked it. Thanks, man. Fuck them, right? Hey, JP. Oh, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, Johnny Cash. Whatever the fuck you I made it to the point in my career where I didn't have to, like, impress or show people. They just knew, and I think I grew comfortable in that. And I thought that I could just, like, jump into this and have the same impact, but... They weren't seeing it, but you have to give people time. You know? I can't, he had me fucking fooled when this movie came out. Dude. Oh, he had everybody. He, I was pre, a, he predates a lot of this sort of uh, neurotic oh, sort yeah. of YouTube personalities. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, he was, he was fucking way ahead of his time with that. Way ahead of his time. YouTubers and vlogging and none of, none of that shit was around back in two, like early 2010. It probably He probably recorded this earlier than that, too. And also grifters. Just like grifters <laughs> that have come about <laughs> since then. You You're right. Just Try and jump onto a career. Any trend. Yeah, exactly. Make a career out of it. Dude, I was convinced. I, was, remember, I remember showing you guys this and being like, dude, dude we have you heard of Joaquin? blown away. I remember watching it and being like, no, this isn't real, dude. This but is for not- a while, I, I didn't. I don't remember when I looked up after that it was I he was doing it as a show. I was like, dude, I want to call this guy and ask if he's okay. <laughs> like, this is sad, you know? Like, I just thought this guy's life is over. Dude. It's over. He and fucking played know, the game. fucking game. He did it. He committed, dude. He went on like David Letterman and shit. That's and, the like, real joke. He was preparing for the Joker, dude. The he one hundred percent did the Joker way back in two thousand ten. 
He's played so many different variations of the Joker, I can't even tell you. Like, he's played the Joker. Yeah. He's played the trickster with the I'm still here. He's also played the, like, incel sort of Joker with, uh, or, uh, yeah, the incel Joker with uh, uh, You Were Never Really Here, which uh-huh. is funny. The fucking I'm still here, you were never really here. God. And then he's played, like, <laughs> the fucking uh, loner Joker the and her, you know, and then... He's just like a different variation. I mean, he's a great actor. He's been around. And he's still he's around. around. Um, other than that, in so let's move on to 2013. 2013. Like you were saying, Lords of Salem. I just watched it recently. It's <coughs> fucking sick. I can't believe I slept on it for this I think one long. of my fate more, one of my top uh, Rob Zombie films. Rob Zombie's, for sure. Um, Purge also came out in 2013. I didn't see it in 2013, but I. I mean that also, like we were saying, kind of sent a bed, set a benchmark for what yes. these sort of survival films could be, but also with like a really interesting political lens as well. Um, yeah, the purge. I mean, it was uh, people were really divided on that film. Like you either really loved the purge or you thought it was just completely stupid. From like the people I talked to when I saw it. Totally. I remember when I saw the trailer, I was like, "This seems so like the concept to me seemed really fucking dumb." But then really? now having, yeah, I don't know. Something about it to me was just like, okay. You weren't like woke that. back then. That's why. <laughs> no, I wasn't. You're not the woke I mean, Caesar you are now. But now seeing woke it, bitch. seeing it now in our perspective, it's like, wow, it makes a lot of sense why it was so, you know, pivotal Impactful, at that yeah. time. Um, what was I going to say? Um, are we on the 2013? So yeah, yeah. Then, so 2013. Uh, uh, back to like, uh, Panos. Uh, Cosmopolis with the neon lighting, only God forgives and under the skin both came out in 2013. That's right. And those are heavy. Under the skin came out in 2013. I think so. Maybe it was 14. Shit, I I fucking missed that one too. I want to say it was 13. uh, Because I knew. Okay, 2014. My bad. Fucking Google. Well, I wanted to add that and I didn't. So either way, I mean, yeah. It was it's it was around and it was used that light and you know what I wasn't that big of a and fan the of that. Skin? Film. You didn't use neon lighting. Well, not neon lighting, but just the heavy like contrast of lighting in that film. Oh, okay, okay. Because like I feel like a lot of the scenes, it's just a lot of like ab- I guess in that film kind of uses absence of color, right? True. Yeah, it was. It's a lot of dull tones. Yeah, but heavy on the tones, I feel like mm-hmm. started to come about. Mid and aesthetic, and especially soundtrack with that. Um, I'm not a of fan like, of that soundtrack. I'm not the biggest fan of that film, honestly. I, I just put it on the I list because I know you like it. I love it a lot, honestly. Because okay, for me, I think. Well, we'll get to it when when we get to the the 2014. Because there's still some other ones I wanted to mention for 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, specifically, Bastards, which is a film by Claire Denis, who also made High Life, that which recently came out with Robert Pattinson. Uh-huh. Um, except Bastards is about a. It's a film about this fucking, uh, this like oil monarch who gets killed suddenly, and his daughter is like wandering the streets of Paris, uh, naked, completely naked. That's how the film opens, and she's like has blood streaming down her legs. So you know something horrific happen and that's probably why this guy was killed her father mm-hmm. um and so it just leads you on to this investigation as to what exactly happened to uh, this guy's daughter and it's a really again one of these sort of indictments on power and cruelty and the access of wealth and you know sort of class divides as well 
Um, and it really just shows the kind of lengths through to which uh, people who are in power will strive to keep themselves in power and the sort of disgraceful things that they will do to each other in order to exhibit that power. And it's a, it's not, I mean, it's a depressing ass film because it doesn't, it doesn't really pan out the way you want it to, Mm -hmm. but it's just good as like a thriller first off. And also the cinematography by her longtime uh, uh, companion, Agnes Godard is really good she films texture and skin like i've never seen it it's just like everything feels like you can you can grab it you know or like huh. you can feel when this when a hand is being pressed against the back it just she films everything so texturally that is it's really cool uh so i highly recommend that one nice when did you start getting into more of these indie films honestly it, this is all thanks to Tumblr, I would say, because once I started, wow, look, I started talk about a relevant thing that was from 2010 and now yeah, of the last I, decade. Exactly. I mean, once I really started getting into Tumblr, I started following certain blogs that would put up screenshots from films, and the this, the still shots, I would be like, "Damn, these are these look really interesting. I want to know more about what this film is." And then I'd look it up, and then it's be like, "Oh fuck, I want to watch this." Yeah. And not only that, Netflix had like a really wide availability of these films back in, I would say before 2015 at least. Yeah, uh, Netflix was on their game back in the day. Long. Like in 2013, I saw they had like Tarkovsky movies on Netflix, uh, fucking Lars von Trier, uh, fucking Claire, De- like all these people that you want to find and now you have to fucking rent from Amazon. Yeah, I feel once Amazon got their video streaming service up, they were like we're pulling some of this shit because I'm sure a lot of the film studios have like deals with Amazon specifically over Netflix. Absolutely, and that kind of like sealed the deal, but honestly, Tumblr and also this one specific person, shout out to her her name is Sarah Horrocks. She's a comic artist, uh, one of my favorites actually, but um, she would put up still shots and write reviews about films that I really enjoyed. And she has such a cool, uh, cool, um, genre like style that she's into that I'm also really interested in. Mm-hmm. And so from her, I got to find out about tons of films. So mainly her. Nice. So yeah, moving on to 2014 now. Um, which one stood out for you? Let's see. Dude, now I'm starting to reconsider my list because I don't know. I've, I, it seems like a lot of the films I got were a, a year off. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah, let's see. Because I had Birdman on my list, Inherent Vice, another shout out to... I put out Birdman and I thought that was 2014. Was it 2014? Was it? Okay. Uh, just because of the last two I listed were the wrong oh, fine, dude. Who cares? True. Um, yeah, I mean, going back to more of the indie films, I know that I always talk about this film and it's not the best film, but... As Above, So Below, it's definitely one of my favorite horror films, just for the, how fun of a film that is. Definitely, yeah. Roller coaster of a ride. Roller coaster of a ride. I mean, it's like a more of a, like, I guess, adventure action, sort of action film, but it's done very tastefully. And I like the whole reference to like alchemy and that. I don't see any films kind of going in depth with shit like that. Or no, using us, or creating such an elaborate storyline too to like put these characters in this situation too. It's not really like a cut and dry horror film, even though it has its like cheesy jump scares. I feel like the whole nature of why they're even down there is what appeals to me so much about that film. Like her quest to acquire the philosopher's stone. It's very uh, 
guess Indiana Jones esque, but yeah, there better is than a that. feeling of Indiana Jones. Yeah, and then the taking of Deborah Lo- Logan back, and you know what else VHS I feel like really set off is the handheld like style. Oh, well, I mean you can credit Paranormal Activity, but Paranormal Activity is just so fucking boring, dude. The movies. Mm. Did not hold up. I think I tried to watch like the second one not too long ago, and I was just like, I thought this was a good movie. Like a fucking plate falling. This movie sucks. <laughs> it took no risks, and then when they started taking risks, they just got really stupid. So uh-huh. again, VHS really setting the bar for what you can do with films and handheld films too. Because I mean, like I, I said it before, like I think Quarantine was the only real horror film that stood out with for me. And was there any other, like, handheld? I mean, obviously, we know the Blair Witch, but was there any other handheld films that came out Not, before VHS? I know we did an episode way back when about Yeah, I can't remember, handheld. honestly. I would have to look at that again to remember. I don't think so, dude. From, there probably is. From, like, the early aughts? I don't know. Anyways, VHS really set that bar, and the taking of Deborah Logan meets that bar because it's a really great horror film. Um, Nightcrawler also came out in 2014 by Dan Gilroy with uh, fucking the fuck is his name the actor um, Jake Gyllenhaal Jake Gyllenhaal yes uh, that one was also a standout for me in 2014 I love that uh, film such a great neo-noir film and based in LA so it felt very just like I love when shit takes place in LA like that because it just like you know LA is such a big city and exploring these very like <laughs> weird obscure characters throughout LA and following them throughout the city I think is like one of Well I like getting a I got getting a uh perspective of the city like after hours from like uh that too. law enforcement like, pers- like a law enforcement perspective but not trying to help the situation just being a first res- <laughs> being a first responder to something uh-huh and like capitalizing off of it Really yeah, cool and really, movie. like, revealing the lines to the, – the lengths, I mean, to which, you know, our media is complicit in oh, yeah. show, showing violence to us and making us okay with being shown violence to the point where <laughs> fucking Jake Gyllenhaal literally involves himself in crimes and, like, yeah. kills people in order to get the perfect shot. I thought that was – that's a like that character itself is so interesting to me, you know, and uh, total incel ex- guy exploring that subculture and like you know just he he did really good at it. I have to admit. I mean, he's another one of those sleeper actors too, who could be really really profound in his acting. Like, kind of, he could have the potential of what Robert Pattinson's doing, but. Totally. I think Jake Gyllenhaal's going more towards the like Hollywood blockbuster route. Yeah, he did that film. Well, it's like Prisoners, which I put on the list too prisoners. with um, uh-huh. fucking what's his name? Uh, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, which I really like too. And Enemy is another one. Yeah, Enemy is. You haven't seen. I, I, you told me about Enemy and you don't remember no, that? you told me about Enemy. Did I? He plays like yeah. a. That's a really good. It's a hard movie to wrap your head around. I haven't seen it in a while too, but I know it's about him and his double. Yes. And the double is have... like about a spider or something. So oh, I remember there being a spider. Huh. Um, okay. But yeah, he is one of those actors that has the chops. It's just yeah, the, his range of film choices have not been. They've been so sporadic. They're you know? so sporadic. But like I mean, end, at the same from time, end he's of doing Watch it. to Nightcrawler. <laughs> Did you? Well, ever I don't wa- know if End of Watch came after, but still, it's like let's see when Christ. End of Watch came. And uh, real quick about the taking of Deborah Logan guy. Funny enough, he did a Paranormal Activity. 
he, oh, interesting. He did the Ghost Dimension, which is a fucking look just by looking at the cover of this film. I know they say don't judge a book by its cover, but when it comes to blockbuster films, you one hundred percent can do that because <laughs> it does not look good. And then he did Insidious: The Last Key, which also sucked. Uh, okay. um, well, what were we saying? What was it but yeah, well, with Nightcrawler. Oh yeah, and um, to watch. I'm like, I'm glad that this sort of film came out to explore those realms of you know media complicity. End of Watch was before. 2012. Okay, so again, proves it's just like weird that you know. But again, he has the range, he has the chops for this. So he has that like uh, real fucking intense guy. Like I'm gonna, he's the really grinning teeth kind of guy. Like even in yes. Jar, like Jarhead, he's a fucking psycho in that film too. He has one of these um, sort of masculine energies that it's like one of those dudes you know can who can pop off. Very <laughs> yeah, he, that's what it is. Yeah, and it's like you don't want to like one of those guys like who says like, oh, when I fucking get into it, dude, when I fight, you can't even stop me. Yeah. One of those guys. He has that look to him. Who's brinking on the edge of that, you know? (laughs) Which is why it was so good. Yeah, he did a great, he he fit that character perfectly. Perfectly. So yeah, that was a standout to me. Cuts that dude's brakes. There's another one, which I didn't put on the list, but I just remembered. It's called... um, uh, hard to be a god, mm-hmm. and it's by this Russian director named Alexi Alexi German. It came out. I, it came out in 2013, but I remember it was. I think it was released in the U.S. 2014. Um, so it's uh, 14, yeah. Huh? It says 14, yeah. Okay, so um, it's a film that it's like a science fiction film, but it's in black and white, and it's about like these futuristic travelers who go to this world who has been held cool back in the medieval period and they're like a the dredges of society like they haven't been able to have their industrial revolution so they've been huh. capsized at this medieval period is there that, an industrial revolution that takes place outside of this world that they're just yes, directly in? and that's why the tra- the travelers these like futuristic travelers go to this world to document it and stuff. oh i see okay and so the idea is that the cameras that are filming or, or, you know, the cameras in the film are these orbs that are floating around or these people recording everything that's happening. Huh. So it's, it's such an interesting film because it's, first off, it's in black and white. It takes place in this medieval period, but it, it's literally just all grime, mud, snot, fucking water, just like the <laughs> most, d- d- like... I don't know how to describe like just gray and dull atmosphere that makes you hella depressed, but it also locks you in and really gives you this idea of this like imagined world that is just locked in, um, in fucking, uh, violence and just debauchery. And there's a lot of heavy close-ups. It doesn't Mm -hmm. let you escape from any of the characters. People are always like, walking into frame hands are coming into frames people there's like close-up of people just like blowing snot on their fingers <laughs> and like throwing it on the ground it's it's awesome and a lot of violence too so it's it's a really really cool film and it was filmed in if, they, if it was filmed over a 10-year period it took Damn. this guy so long to make it that's and insane died. and then he <laughs> then died he, then he died and then i think it was released posthumously wow uh, so like he it, it, this was like his like last towering achievement and it really is uh remarkable to behold wow i'll check it out the stills of it look amazing Derek, i mean the black and white itself is is really cool yeah um 
And then that was kind of it for 2014. That was also kind of a slow year, I feel. Uh, I remember we had Starry Eyes. I think that came out in 2014. Oh, was that in 2014? Again, dude, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> I didn't do the research. Yes, that one was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that one was 2014, and I really enjoyed that film because it was that relatable, was great. starving artist, striving artist, rather, willing to do anything it takes Both to get to the top. While wow, she's starving for that car. Um, but a really cool movie. Back to the indie horror horror genre, um, which I really enjoyed. Yes, it's still setting like just riding the coattails of uh, the earlier VHS era for us. That's a slap. That's a slept on film too. I don't really. I don't think that. I don't feel like that film gets enough love too. Because I mean that it, it looks kind of cheesy and it could be kind of cheesy too. But and it is actually kind of cheesy, but. It's just very well made. I really like the character in it. I like her art, her story arc. I love I like it, it dude. And it's like very relatable. Very relatable. Like, to the challenges just everyday people face to trying to achieve their goals and their dreams. Isn't it the... No, it's not. I wanted to say, I thought it was the actor who plays Laura's dad in Twin Peaks, who's like the main agent guy. No. The Tim and Eric guy. No, it's, it's not, though, but a similar-looking character, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Got that sinisterness. Yeah. Um, okay, um, so where are, we at? where are we now? 2015 now. Um, let's see. A lot. I think a lot came out in 2015, which I was really interested in. Um, yeah. Although, standouts for me, definitely fucking, if you haven't seen it, check out Heaven Knows What, which is one of the Safdie Bros films. Uh, Uncut, Uncut Gems, Gems coming out, comes out next week. Next, it's already playing in LA though at some places. Yeah, like so at Arc Maybe Lines we should and try shit. and see it this weekend if we can. Uh, I'm down. Um, but yeah, heaven knows what amazing. Oh, it's showing. Film. It's showing by my house. Oh fuck yeah! No, oh, we should. Dude, it's already showing in a few places actually. Oh wait, no, those are showtimes for next week. Sorry. Sorry oh okay. Anyways, go ahead. Um. So heaven knows what is about this. Uh, about this character named Ariel Holmes, who is a real, uh, who is a real drug user. I guess I don't know what the word for that is, but um, she was like, I think she would do heroin, if I'm not mistaken. She fucked on heroin. And one of the brothers met her randomly in the streets of New York, talked to her. She told him his whole life story, her whole life story, and he was like, "Damn, this is like really interesting. It sounds like a fu- it could be made into a film." So he basically paid her to write a memoir of her life, and then they turned that into a screenplay uh, for Heaven Knows What. And what's interesting about this film is that um, it feels so authentic because even though they have some actors in it, like Caleb Landry Jones, who um, this is like the first time I kind of saw him being introduced more into film, Uh, the guy who played, uh, what's his name, Banshee um, Mm -hmm. in X-Men. But he got like a lot more stuff after that, which was really good. Like he was in David Cronenberg's son's film Antiviral, which I've mentioned before, which mm-hmm. is really good. Um, and then I saw him in this, Heaven Knows What, and he plays Ariel Holmes' um, boyfriend called Ilya, who is this also this uh, heroin user. And these people are just like they—they're heroic in their own ways, and they're—and they are like these sort of angels angelic people in their own ways but to society the way they are cast down upon there's this real sort of class division in it that is 
very apparent because, I mean, Ariel Holmes was basically homeless and she was just going from place to place trying to score and, you know, trying to survive yeah. with this boyfriend of hers. Um, and it makes it such like an authentic experience. You just feel so much for these people and um, it it's immersive. It's like one of the best immersive experiences and uh, tragic, of course. But the acting in it is phenomenal because they use professional actors with people who haven't acted professionally before Hmm. and it creates this sort of tension that really plays out authentically like they're just filming it's like pressure i'm sure there's a lot of pressure from the non-actors so you can it it translates into the film and their dynamic with one another but they do it so effortlessly because it's just like they are just filming these people in their natural habit exactly you know and i think that's what makes it so perfect and it's also got this sort of guerrilla filmmaking style where they were where they would like not access permits to film in certain places and film from afar so that it looked like the actual altercation was real to people who were just like walking by. Right, know? right. I love that. Um, and it's it's so beautiful because of that soundtrack, also really cool. Uh, I think Ariel Pink and uh, someone else does it. Um, who, who is the one that does it? I feel like... Oh, never mind. But yeah, Ariel Pink at least was part of it, and oh, you could really tell he has a, a good effect to it. What was it? Which one was it again? What was it called? Heaven knows what. Heaven knows what. And I just thought it was cool because it's like this person is just reliving her own story that she wrote for herself, and like I think that's beautiful that they gave her this uh, opportunity to like really humanize what a person who's addicted goes through and especially if you're homeless like it's yeah they didn't glorify it at all it was just more like this an is authentic real. real experience so uh, i highly highly it's like those guys are fucking on a roll i mean i have another one of theirs on the list too dude get off their fucking dicks already man i can't i can't what uh else? 2016 we had the witch robert eggers we've talked immensely about this film already Obviously, one of our faves for the list. Totally. Um, the Wailing, dude. The Wailing was another really great Asian film that came out. A Korean film, actually. Na Hong Jin. Uh, he did like some other, I think, a film similar to... Uh, to uh, uh, I Saw the Devil. In like a revenge mm. story or something like that, too. I'm not really too sure. Um, but that, that film really fucking put me on my ass the first time seeing it, too. Because you don't oh, know yeah. what the fuck is really even happening it's about like a murder case and then you're following this this bumbling cop the whole time <laughs> who just gets he's like so good dude. yeah he's, he's he really actor. sells it yeah and then you there's a demon aspect to it it's very it's really long and it's a really dense film. it's basically like this japanese uh man moves into a korean village and they're all very weary of him because there's like a rumor going around that he's actually like a demon or yeah. something so there's a very there's a racial aspect to it as well mm-hmm. um but also like you said because of these murder cases that happen they think it's that guy uh because he's japanese basically and they think he's a demon yeah turns out he is a demon spoiler alert. turns out he is and that, the ending whew. that scene with the ritual where the guy's trying to exercise that ex- too yeah he's trying to exercise that you say Perform an exercise, yeah. Yeah, exercise the girl. Really confusing movie, too. There's the ghost ass, like the ending. It's like there's two ways it can be interpreted. I haven't seen it in a while. I think I saw it and I I kind of realized what it was. Okay, don't I tell think, me because I'm going to rewatch it. 
Yeah, definitely rewatch it. But the ending itself with, I mean, not to give a spoiler, but when the fucking priest goes into the cave yeah. and you find out what's happening is one of the coolest scenes I've ever, like, ever, honestly. And it's so terrifying. Uh, the buildup to it is is really good. Hell yeah. Um, I wonder what the other film was. What else in 2016? The Chaser uh, I, is the film that Na Hong Jin did. Oh, okay. What is it called? The Chaser. The cha- Oh, that's right. Yeah. We never finished that one. Or at least, I know we saw that together, but I know we didn't finish it. Yeah. It was similar to I Saw the Devil, right? Like, yes, yeah. it did have a similar vibe. Um, yeah. Another one in 2016, Eyes of My Mother. Oh, yeah. Nicholas Fucking Pesh- crazy Pesh- movie. Such a great film. Again, setting the high bar for a horror film, but also because it was done in black and white, very, very beautifully. Um, I like, mean, yeah. You don't really see horror films like this, but uh, it's sadistic. Very and fucking sadistic. As one of my favorite introductions to a serial killer, I think, ever in film. Mm-hmm. So that one definitely high, high uh, living. High living. High living, indeed. Um, Green Room, also, Jeremy Solnir. Uh, very, very cool film. I haven't seen it Patrick. yet. I still have you not. have to watch it. Excellent, I think. Um, excellent pacing, excellent anxiety-inducing film. Neon Demon, Nicholas Winding Refn also Back came to the out, Colors. Which was great. The neon is that literally in the name of that film. Literally. But, I mean, Nicholas Winding Refn is kind of like the pioneer of that lighting, yeah. too. So, I can give him a pass for it, you know. He's in Death Stranding, isn't it? Well, his likeness is in oh, Death yeah. Stranding. No, he isn't. Yeah, but he he's not the voice actor. Oh, really? The, his character, yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, also, I forgot to mention, with now that we mentioned NWR, uh, what I was going to say previously about Under <laughs> the Skin. Well, because uh, like now that's how I, I'd rather say that than his whole fucking name. It's so long. Uh-huh. Um, with Under the Skin, and we were talking about, uh, I, was, I was thinking of like the sort of acting that Scarlett Johansson does, and it reminds me a lot of what Ryan Gosling does in NWR's films as well, because just this stays, very, stays quiet. Quiet and also just does everything with their eyes and with their body language. Yeah. And I'd rather have that than them talk because, honestly, I don't think they deliver lines very well. No. But the body language and the how they evoke themselves through that, I think, are the best qualities that they have. And for they're sure. And perfect for films like that where they don't have to talk much. I mean, you know, I, don't, I don't know how many lines he has in Only God Forgives, but it can't be more than 20. Even Drive, I mean... Oh, well, Drive, yeah. He probably has less than fucking 10 easily in that one. And it's all just tension. It's all aesthetics with him. And yeah. I, I like that more for a character like him because I think it, he delivers a stronger presence than when he talks. Yeah, he's you know? pretty good at emoting. And that's how I feel about like Scarlett Johansson in Under the Skin. That's why I like it so much because she emits so much without having to talk. But... um. What about Marriage Story, dude? You, did you see that? You, uh, you like that? <laughs> Again, how many lines are in that movie that she has to do? A bunch. Too many. Um, Where, wait, 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 wait. We need to start over. Do we haven't mentioned any Marvel films that came out. Good. What do you mean good? good? Deadpool. Uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. Thor. Uh, Thor the Dark Ant-Man. Ragnarok. The only one I had on this list that we can just gloss over that came out next in 2017 was Logan, just because it was a cool 
comic book film that actually yeah, took that a risk true. for a, a comic book movie and really t- you really put that character to bed very well. Film. Very touching film and just did a great job. G- gave him a great ending. It wasn't mm-hmm. cheesy as fuck. It wasn't too like Marvel fucking fight the final boss ending you always get from all these films. It's just always to the final boss. Like what's a quest to the final boss? That's literally every single Marvel movie. Yep. Or how to save the world from this one was just an old. This is an old man slowly dying, passing on the helm to a young mm-hmm. new generation. And I'm glad they didn't run further with her character. They just ended it like this. Just this is just that film. We just need to leave it alone. Exactly. It's a yeah. I really love Logan. It's so well done. Fuck yeah. Honestly. Um, you mean 2017? Because uh, I want to. 2017. Now Let's we see. haven't mentioned any comedy films because. Comedies just fucking Comedy suck. Comedy sucks now. There's yeah. no good comedies. But 2017 released one of my favorite comedies of probably of all time. Which is? The Disaster Artist. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's one right. of the best comedy films I think I've ever seen too. Like <laughs> it doesn't it's so perfect. James Franco, I like I don't even think of uh Tommy Wiseau anymore at the, with the normal Tommy Wiseau. I only see fucking Franco. Franco. Have you seen the supercut that somebody made with for uh, Star Wars? Did they put Tommy Wiseau in Star Wars? Really? And they make this like love story between him and Anakin. <laughs> Let me just play a clip for you real quick. That sounds hilarious. <laughs> Give me a second. Oh, here we go. The full story. That's freaking hilarious, dude. But James Franco really knocked it out of the park. As Tommy Wiseau and everybody else, even Dave Franco as I forget his character, Babyface and <laughs> Seth just, Rogen's even I funny mean, in it. He like he he immersed himself so much in that role where he became Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> he is Tommy Wiseau, dude. No other person could have played that the way uh-uh. he did. So this is Tommy Wiseau in the saga of Star Wars. You're crazy. <laughs> 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 wow. For the listeners, we're watching. Thank you. You're so beautiful. <laughs> what do you mean? Rough and irritated. Here everything is soft and smooth. I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) No, it's because I'm so in love with you. You know what they say, love is blind. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. I'm tired. I'm wasted. (laughs) I love you, darling. (laughs) <laughs> so for the listeners we were watching scenes oh, between shit. Padme and Anakin's character in Attack of the Clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith with Tommy Wiseau inserted there so shout so out to whoever made that video because goddamn, that was taking a long time speaking mm-hmm. of uh, Star Wars while we're on the topic I, someone was watching Attack of the Clones the other day or it was my girlfriend's grandpa was watching it the other day and it came in and I was like oh sick Attack of the Clones and you know that scene when Obi-Wan goes to the 
place where they're making all the Django Fett clones. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a scene where they show them eating like lunch in the original one and they're just chilling and they point one guy out specifically and he like they get a shot of him like, what's going on? Like he's going to do something. That is so obscure to me right now. I have no, I cannot remember. I thought you were more of a Star Wars buff. Maybe not. I mean, I haven't seen the Attack of the Clones in a very long time. The point was, I was trying to make, is that he's like, oh, look, they're going to show the Mandalorian right now. And I was like, what? Like, oh, yeah, like he's probably just like a clone of one of these guys too. And there's this scene that totally looks added of like that, what I just described. Like there's... Uh, Obi-Wan's like walking through the facility and like they're showing him all the clones and like they're eating and then like mm-hmm. something happens where like that one guy gets up and he's like whoa, whoa, whoa. and like I was like dude did they just add that like to justify who the Mandalorian is now and like give him a backstory because like I fucking hate when they do that for like films I on. know that they've been and I mean Star Wars is notorious for adding shit in yeah, the older ones that's what and I, I was like did they say. fucking add that and he's like no it's the Mandalorian I was like yeah I get it but is that was that in the original cut of Attack of the Clones I don't okay. know Apparently they've been doing that a, a For lot, a lot, dude. And with then it, the Disney Channel. That's what, the he was watching it on Plus. So I was like, that seems added. Like, what the? F-? And then it's just weird. so stupid. Like, just make this fucking storyline with this guy. Like, they don't want to take risks of making these standalone characters. Like, they have to tie them into like, yeah, back in Attack of the Clones. The like, we're, exactly, exactly mm-hmm. the mythos. Anyways, I, so we were digressing. Lame. Ugh. Um. Yeah, I think I think there. I even saw like a thread of where for some of the bonus features for even the fucking dark, the night or what is it the uh, the Jet, the Return of the Jedi. Sorry, uh-huh. for one one of those films, uh, they were showing bonus features and they edited out like cigarettes that they were smoking. What in the bonus features? Yes, that's fucking weird. I know. It's just like, what are? Why are you taking shit like that out? They're trying something. to keep it safe, dude. You never know. You never know who's going to take it. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're coming to toward the end here now, huh? We got the last three years, and I think the last three years, personally, were probably the strongest for me for these films. De- yeah, definitely, because also I think our taste expanded so much so that, like, there was well, a lot more to be... Uh, well, I feel like your taste was... Your tier palette's pretty broad. Um, so I don't know if a, some of these films you saw recently... Um, as opposed to when they were actually coming out. I don't know if that's I mean, what you mean. Yeah, I, I don't think I saw a lot of these when they came out, but like, right. it took a little bit because a lot of them I had to wait till they came out on like Amazon or something, you know? True. Um, but yeah, so going into 2017, I mean, right out the gate, Get Out was really good. I was like mm-hmm. very excited about that when I first saw the... Uh, the trailers and also i mean when it came out it was such an experience and an event that yeah. i thought was just perfect and it, it'll stand up i think in my opinion totally um, i mean i didn't ha- i didn't put us on this film because i didn't think I, that was a stronger one either he really did start really strong and i think he set his bar very high not to say he set it too high for himself but he did set himself a really high bar for what he can do in film and his yeah. storytelling and, like and horror said critics kind of set the, that bar yeah that too as well i mean i mean not to say us is a bad film we did an episode on it. It's a good movie, but it's definitely not this, as strong as Get Out was. Exactly. Um, what else? Uh, Blade Ma- of the Immortal. Oh, another Takashi Miike film. Hell yeah. 
Let's talk about that one for a second. I mean, Balance, so like, talking about over the top. He is just giving it to you. He doesn't give a fuck about assaulting you with overkill. <laughs> well, I mean, like, the storyline is pretty overkill. Like, even all the characters in the manga are just overkill samurais. I mean, that's why it's like a perfect film for him. Yeah, I it's mean, a perfect it's like, fit. Throughout his career, right? Like we said, a laundry list of films. It's like he's always taken the violence up a yeah. notch as to what is be what is able to be shown. Yeah. And I think Blade of the Immortal just kind of takes it to where he's like. He makes it. He just, makes it fun. He makes it fun, and it, it's just a great action movie. It's filled to the brim with action. Like literally, almost yeah. every scene is start action. to finish, and it makes it very, very um, heavy paced. And uh, just like extremely fun, it's a good storyline too. Uh, so I like that one a lot. Yeah, all the villains are badass in the film. The main Hell character yeah. is badass in the film. He um, just did a great job of doing a uh, doing a manga interpretation on film, which he also did. I believe JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which I have not seen yet, but really? JoJo I mean, is a really the killer weird. Was also a manga. a manga. Yeah, that's true. He's so he's not he's not new to the. The manga ad- the adaptations, world. yeah, not at all. I and mean, then, a lot of his horror stuff could be could, could be good mangas. If they oh, were for sure, yeah. Audition um, could definitely be made into audition, a manga. especially and also um, imprint. Oh yeah, that one's more more towards the uh, manga. Junji Ito sort of manga. Yeah, I always said the guy, the main character. Rest in peace to that actor. I'm forgetting his name right now. He reminded oh, yeah, me of Bill like Drago. a character out of like a, like an anime or something. Like uh, something in even like Afro Samurai or some shit. To- Billy Drago, I believe, is his name. Yeah, well, yeah, his character in that film, like. Do- oh yeah, I mean, but he, he has such him a in general, yeah. Persona. Yeah, he really uh, does. He uh oh, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, also in 2017, uh, Mother, of course, which we've talked about a lot. We haven't really yeah do- dived into it, but um, I mean, fuck, still one of my favorites. I kind of watch it. Almost, I've watched it almost every year, I think, so far. I've, I've seen it a couple of times. That's a good one. Stands out for me every time I watch it. It um, just gets so ridiculous, but in such so, a tasteful way. Yes, and it's like, I mean, when I first saw it, I did not expect any of that to happen. <laughs> no. It, you just, it's, yeah, it's so fucking crazy. Another one it's of those actors, too, fun. that has the potential to be really good, Jennifer Lawrence. Which just is, I mean, just choose, has I, a questionable selection of films she's in. I guess I don't know. I just never really liked her acting to me. I just thought it was very plain and just very like surface level attention with her in sort of uh, in terms of her emotion and like just the like. I, don't I mean, know, she like, like I said, she has the potential, but I mean, she doesn't have very many lines either in Mother. Too, it's sort of I mean, her just being tossed award, around though, before that. She was like it's in true. Silver Linings Playbook, and like after that, she just kept going to like these big yeah. Hollywood blockbuster movies that are like supposed to be, you know, prime acting. And it's like, what was that movie? Eh. American Hustle? Is that the American f- Hustle? Was another one? Yep. Uh, and just like, yeah, I never really was into her. But then Mother, when that came out, I was intrigued because it reminded me first off of Rosemary's Baby, and then um, I was in. I love Javier Bardem. He's such a great actor, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I thought, like, this should be interesting, you know, especially right. because given the fact that Darren Aronofsky is a well-known filmmaker. Um, so, mm-hmm. not one of my favorite up. film filmmakers, but 
definitely not. But I mean, this one is a knockout. It's just definitely. like a, again, one of these directors who's been around for a while, who's made a lot of films, who's just kind of like, at this point, it's like, fuck it. I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to show you what the fuck I want. Yeah. That's his so, last film, huh? Mother. Yeah. That's the last one he's made. Oh, he's going to make something else. Um, Another one, of course, in 2017, like I said, with the Safdie Bros, Good Time with Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked about it before. Yeah. Great film. Definitely watch it. Now, let's get into 18. 18. So, you, I mean, Hereditary right off the bat. Right off Fucking the bat. Phenomenal. Set this podcast off, pretty much. Literally. Set it off. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about Ari, Ari Aster too much already i think on this podcast yeah. <laughs> so credits to him already and just hereditary is still one of my favorite films that i can revisit any single time Definitely. i, I want to watch it now just talking about it right now right just, yeah. it's just I mean, a perfect film from start to finish every per- character and it just fits so well their dynamics um just the cinematography the choice of music mm-hmm. start to finish again great film. start to finish um what else first reformed Paul Schrader, uh, devastating film. But uh, one of these films also that it's like, again, another director who's made a long career and and now at the end, almost like at the end, at the precipice, he's just like, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want. And I like, I love when directors are able to do that. This freewheeling, you know, uh, adventure to make what they want. And First Reform hits like a goddamn brick, especially Ethan Hawke's performance. Ethan so Hawke was on fire for a little while, too, after The Purge, huh? Yeah, definitely. That was kind of his comeback, I would think. Yeah, I like Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he's a great... I mean, yeah. First Reformed is, is beautiful. I'm surprised he hasn't done, like, a true detective or he hasn't, like... Right? He would make a perfect, uh, like, detective thriller. Stephen Dorff kind of reminds me of him a little bit. I could see that. Um, and then Mandy, obviously, came Mandy. out in 2018. One of our favorite films as well. Panos definitely. again. Definitely. Made it to the list twice, so you should feel lucky, panels that we fucking give you the time of day, fucking bitch. Mandy is just so cool. Just a rock Absolutely and roll cool. Action packed fantasy that's just like, like Yeah. Yeah. Another film it's from Start to Finish is just cool. <laughs> it really does hit all the marks. And then I threw Suspiria on here too, just because we kinda did an episode on it and there are things that I do enjoy about the film. Is it one of the best horror films or one of the best films I've seen? No. Do, are there a lot of problems with it? Yes. Tom York mainly is the big kicker for that film. Absolutely. But for what it is, I enjoyed it. And I think it's still a pretty, pretty solid movie. I don't mind yeah. watching it. There's times when I actually do want to watch it. Interesting. I never feel that. but <laughs> You just don't like it, it at all? I just saw it once and I was like, that's enough. Like, that was... I mean, I don't watch it. Yeah, it's one of those films that I'm like, oh, maybe Suspiria. Okay, no. But yeah, especially because like the original again, it's just too. In my opinion, there's so much more. No, it is. We've also done an episode on that. Exactly. So we already know what's up. But Uh, but filming better dance sequences as Suspiria tried to do. Moving on to uh, 2019 climax with Gaspar No. Boom. I mean, we already did an episode on it, but. That's how you film a fucking dance sequence. Um, and That's just how you film a movie. Just, yeah, a movie in general. That it, One of the best immersive experiences 
uh, in a film. Now that's a film I can see and say I want to watch and don't pass up on and actually put it on. Exactly. Like there was a point where I was watching it like every other day. Just the opening sequence of that film, the dance sequences, or the even the whole thing. Like if you really want to sit and watch the whole thing, it's like fuck. This movie's fucking crazy. It is, and it just it's just nonstop, nonstop. And it's like a bad trip. And again, like we've we've done an episode on this, so if you want to check that out, check it out. But definitely watch the film because Gaspar Noe is one of these directors to definitely look out for. And that film, that film really uh, launched my interest in Gaspar Noe's films too. Because I think before that, I only I had only really seen Enter the Void, and I wasn't the biggest fan of that film. But mm-hmm. Irreversible, I mean, that's a grueling film that grueling just fucking grabs Brutal. you by the face, makes you watch it. Yep. I mean, yeah, that and uh, uh, he has another one that came out before Irreversible called I Stand Alone, which yeah. is kind of like a taxi driver-esque mm-hmm. um, take. And that one's really, really good as well. Um, uh, he had another one which I put on the list called Love. I think that one came out uh, 2015. That one's also really good. It's more like a porno film, uh, but... Something about like the sex and the love aspect of it was really hit me really hard because I saw the film right during when like all those like terrorist attacks were happening in Paris and France, uh-huh. um, and it was like one of those brutal. I think it was at a concert or something, if I'm not mistaken, and it was just like a huge thing that was being covered worldwide. And then watching a film that was just about that took place in France and just was about love and like experiencing love for the first time and how that feels and going through a relationship. It was just such a weird contrast, but, um, and then he came out with another one this year too. Uh, yes. Uh, Lux Eterna. Is that Lux Eterna? Yeah. With Charlotte Gainsbourg as well, which I'm really excited to see, but I mean, it's going to take a while. I think for that to get a U.S. release. It says the initial release is April 9th, 2020. That's from Russia. So, God damn it. I fucking hate that shit. Yeah. Well, um, 2019, we're still in 2019. Uh, yeah, Uncut Gems, I'm sure, will make the list. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, we just saw The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse, of course, we put Great it use of black and white again. Kind of, uh, rem- it was reminding me of that film you were talking about, uh, Hard to Be a God, just looking at the stills of it. Yeah, I can see And the that. very gross, like, close-ups of these muck. Mech, and water muck, yeah. and piss and shit. Farting. <laughs> Um, and then obviously Midsummer. Shouts out to Ari again. Yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, the lighthouse. Also, I mean, a lot of people might. I feel like a lot of people are going to be weird about it, or like there's. It's going to have a very divisive uh, sort of audience. I mean, a lot of people are not going to get. One. <laughs> I mean, I'm still trying. And a lot to of people aren't gonna put the time of day to like rewatch it until they understand it, which I felt like I had to do for the witch. Although I initially liked the witch, so I was inspired to go. I mean, I've initially liked both of them too. But if you're a person who's trying to just like get into this movie, you're not gonna like. If you don't like it the first time, you're not gonna learn to like it. Yeah. If you like the witch, I I <clears throat> don't know if you like this. Like, it's so it's, so much different. And yeah. So much weirder. But um, fucking cool, man! Everything very, about that film, very cool. Just the sh- the shots, the use of a lot of shadows throughout the film, the acting itself. The a- I mean, I mean, yeah. Two characters just carrying yeah. this entire film: Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson again. Our boy, well, your boy. Mm-hmm. He is my boy. 
<laughs> He's been doing such great work. I mean, and honestly, I'm just so glad that like people are picking him up in this way. And like again, like we had said, that actors want to work with these people so yeah. bad that they're calling them up. You know, even with the Safety Bros, fucking uh, Robert Pattinson saw Heaven Knows What, and he called them up, and he was like, "Hey, I want to be, I want to do one of your films." Yeah. And at that time, they were working on Uncut Gems, and then they decided to that Robert Pattinson didn't really fit the character in Uncut Gems, so they decided to make a new character for him specifically, which turned into Connie, uh, the actor from Good Time. And it, like, worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wasn't that the case with uh, Willem Dafoe? Exactly. He like, saw, uh, saw the saw the, the witch, witch and was like, like yo, I, I need to be in here. Whatever you do next, I need to be in it. That is so cool. Like, I love that there are people like that, you know, that are yeah. out there that are like, Man, this guy's work. He ha- he's got something here, right? And I want to be a part of it, you know. Well, there so, you have yeah. it, dude. There's the there decade. I mean, there obviously we can extend it next time to 2020 films, but as of right now, 2019, it's wrapping up, dude. What are your What are your goals for 20? For the new decade, rather, because it's a new decade. It's a big deal. It is. I mean, I plan to do more artwork. Uh, more comics, but get more like produce more. I would say and yeah. get that out quicker. Um, also, go back to school. So hopefully, back to school. Finish that. Back to school to prove to them that I'm that not I'm... a fool. Oh, I thought it was that I am cool. No, it's not cool. I, said that. I spin the face of people who I don't think are cool. I spin in the face of people I don't think are cool. Let's see. My goals for 2020. The new decade, rather to not be depressed. Um, yeah, that too. Not want to jump off a cliff every day. Not staring the void. Staring I want to slam my car off the freeway. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, just to be continue being productive. I think 2010. I mean, dude, I learned a lot. I was turned 18 in 2010, and now here I am, just celebrated a birthday. I'm 28. Mm-hmm. Big boy now. Big boy. At least I'm not 30, though. I keep saying that. That's going to be... I don't know how I'm going to feel when I turn 30. Good. Good, yeah. Well, I hope good. I'm glad I'm older. Like, honestly... Me too. I just feel like... I don't want to deal with no bullshit anymore. I'm over it. I'm over it. bullshit. I'm over it. I'm over it. So there you have it, dude. There's the decade. There's the decade in a goddamn nutshell. Uh, let's hope for better things in 2010. It's going to be interesting to see where the world goes. I mean, think about I mean, how much shit has changed from when we've got out of high school to now, dude. There was no social media. That changed everything. There was like no fucking barely any mobilization of sequels and. Well, uh, I mean, I, I meant to talk about this, but like the Marvel, like, I feel like the Marvel overtaking of cinema really fucking set that off too because from once Iron Man came out it was like Iron Man 2 Iron Man 3 Captain America 1 2 3 like Mm -hmm. there's there's just it's just like a cash crop for all these films too I mean they've been making sequels for forever but now it's like fucking everything needs to be a franchise and I think they only do that just to compete like with Marvel too you know like Marvel has a guaranteed like you can guarantee a sequel to these films just because you can do Uh anything with these comic book characters but when you try to make like new shit, like I don't know, like I'm just thinking of one that didn't fall, like the Jupiter Ascending and like those stupid <laughs> movies, you know, like with Maze yeah, Runner. Like exactly. I get that they're books, but fuck, man, they just don't, they just don't <laughs> translate. 
Um, I think I, um. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think either twenty, it might have been twenty thirteen. Um, but I know either twenty eleven or twenty thirteen was the year in which, uh, basically, fucking the that's when the sort of sequel sort of franchise film industry started taking off mm-hmm. explosively like that's right. when we started being bombarded with it because like you said sequels have always been made but again with the uh with the catalyst of marvel coming out and sort of creating the industry for that everybody just started writing the coattails of of sequels and franchise well, like i said they had to compete you know like for, in order for this to film to do they themselves have... above the water yeah which and is really strange. I guess they are doing that. I mean, sort of. Think about how sort many of. failed franchises there have been, you know? Totally. But, you know what, friend? And I didn't talk about this, but I had friend, and another comic book movie, actually, that we should have mentioned that I fucking love um, is fucking Dread. And I think that came out like 2011, oh, 12. Right. I need to check mm-hmm. the list, but. Alex Garland wrote it. That's a fucking sick ass movie. Yeah, it was dope. Yeah, I really liked it. They didn't. Man, they Urban. didn't. They didn't make any uh, sequels or anything off of that too. And I so wanted a sequel for that, but it just they're never as good. Talking about it, I remember if there was like talk about it being in the works and stuff. Carl Urban was going to return. Carl uh, Urban did a fucking killer job. As he him. did a great job. Just that like little smug look. That little not not smug. That little smirk that's, with his and look. And that's it. That's yeah. all he has, and it works perfectly. Like. <laughs> Ah, I love it's so good, and also just the way it's filmed, the 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 action in it. I mean, it's basically the raid, which was also on the list that I didn't talk about. Oh yeah, the raid. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, yeah, it's basically the raid, but just with two characters storming a place. Mm -hmm. The raid really also set off a a benchmark for like high action-packed, you know, fucking films that are just like. High octane, but also well choreographed. Where well, they don't need a cut. Kind of, so yeah. I mean, like, fighting. I mean, like, there was like Ongbok, and uh, yeah, but those weren't. Those didn't necessarily have. I mean, it dude, he fights like a million guys with elephant tusks. I know, but I, I guess. <laughs> I don't Do you remember know, when he's fucking slicing the all their tendons? Itself. Huh? Do you remember that scene in Ongbok when he's slicing all their tendons? And I the remember guy, the one where he breaks all of their bones. <laughs> like he just breaks literally everybody's bones. <laughs> so Those movies are and ridiculous. Also, there's a really cool scene too where he's like running up um, a hotel lobby or something to uh-huh. get to like the top floor. And he's it's just like all done in one sequence. And he's just like, that is a really cool scene actually. Yeah. A good movie too. Ja. That's not Tony Jaw, Is it? Tony Jaw's on what? Isn't, Isn't that it? him? Tony Jaw, yeah. Uh, really? I thought Tony Jaw... Isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is Tony Jaw. <laughs> Tony Jaw, dude. What happened to him? There's a name I haven't heard in a fucking long-ass time. I just time. remember his name being really cool, and in high school, it was be like, Tony Jaw, dude. He's a fucking sick-ass martial artist. Tony Jaw. He was the one for a long time. He was. I remember watching in high school on YouTube, oh, let's watch the bone-breaking scene again. <laughs> The scene where the guy throws the fucking elephant, the baby elephant. Yeah, and that too. Was, yeah. But the raid is still really sick. No, the raid is fucking badass. No, the raid really did set the bar and reshaped what you can do in choreographed fighting, you know? Like, exactly. That one fucking scene in the hallway where he's fucking him up with the the police baton and then he breaks yes. the dude's neck on his like foot as he drops uh-huh. him down. That shit's sucking 
so badass. Makes me want to rewatch The Raid right now. I saw the second one. I'm not a big uh, fan of the second one. That's the prison one? Yeah, I yeah, saw that one not too fan. long ago. I actually really enjoyed it. The action scenes in that one are good too, but uh, I mean, I'd be, I'd, definitely not as good as the first, I think. I, uh, I think the acting too is a little bit better in the first Raid. It's a little more believable. I also, I mean, you got to see that guy though in another one that I should have put. Uh, it's like the same people who from the raid, the same actors, but um, the night comes for us, which is a Netflix. Oh original. right, yeah, absolutely fucking sick film. One like one of the coolest action films. Like the scenes are so excessively graphic, but there's it just makes it even better, doesn't it? And then the hey, yeah, that is that guy, huh? Yeah, it's all it's a lot of them from the raid. No, but I'm thinking, of, is this the same guy who's in Big Trouble in Little China? Yayan uh, Ruhian? I do not one know. One of the older guys, one of the more badass guys in the raid. He's one of the villains. I don't know. He looks familiar. Hmm. I think he's a little too... Damn, he's only 5'2"? Holy shit, these guys are short. That guy's short. The main guy from the raid? The main bad guy from the raid. No, the raid uh, was like one of Oh, his... dude, yeah. The guy they call like the dog or something like I that? I think or... so, yeah. Mad Dog. Mad Dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you, I mean, you could tell he's pretty short. Yeah, that's true. The Ray, dude. Ah! Well, there we go. 2019, 2020 was <laughs> fast approaching, and I'm ready We're for it. Kick the fucking door down to 2020. Ah! I'm going to raid the 2020. I'm going to raid the new decade. I'm going to fight through each year the way that the raid was fought through each yeah, floor. I'm going to fuck up all the Trump uh, supporters like fuck, they did yeah. in the raid. I'm gonna Break all their bones, Tony Jaw style. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking do my own voter suppression. Don't you come to the polls when I'm around, because I'll fucking. <laughs> ah! No, you're gonna just walk around all the voter lines yelling, "Let me see your paperwork." <laughs> hey, new booties. Let me see your paperwork. You ever voted before, huh? You ever been a Gen Pop, homie? He <laughs> doesn't Get say out of Gen Pop. So I could talk to you for a second. What does your voter registration say? Let's look. Sexual history. Okay, thank you. Okay, chomo. You're a fucking chomo, dude. I'm chomoed out. All right. Wrap this thing up. Shall we? Yes, listeners. Thank you for listening. We hope you have a happy holidays. We're going to be saying Merry Christmas again. And (laughs) um, yeah, hug your babies tight because you don't know who who knows. There might be another Y2K coming coming around. Yeah. Merry Krampus. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm going to go watch Krampus right now. Okay, bye, listeners. Listen to us every day. Thank you. <laughs>